Hey, everybody. For those of you who are longtime Girl on Guy listeners, you know that I've been talking about becoming a feature director for a long time, and I am so excited because that day has finally come. I'm going to be directing my very first feature film entitled Axis this summer, and I'm going to do it in the most independent way possible, the same way that I've made this show uh, for years now. I'm going to be kickstarting my movie. So you can check out my Kickstarter page. It's kickstarter.com slash axisfilm to learn more about the movie and how you can participate. I'm sure lots of you are already familiar with the Kickstarter platform, but if you're not, it makes perfect sense for the Girl on Guy Army because you can contribute at whatever level you're able in whatever way you want. And there's all kinds of awesome rewards. Um, we're going to be giving away posters and t-shirts and books and trips and all kinds of opportunities for you to be a part of this endeavor. I wanted to make my first movie my own movie, the same way I've always made Girl on Guy, personal, independent, and utterly defiant of the system. And I want you guys to be a part of it. It's going to be such an incredible experience. I'm going to take you along every step of the way. So go check it out. It's kickstarter.com slash film. There's going to be all kinds of incredible ways to participate and benefit from this experience. And you guys can be a part of making my very first movie. You've been there with Girl and Guy from the start. You guys are awesome. You have been the reason why I keep making this show. And I hope that you'll be the reason why I make my very first film. So visit kickstarter.com slash axisfilm and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr for ongoing updates as I put my movie together and shoot it this summer. You guys are my army. Your legion. This is Girl on Guy. Hey, everybody. Uh, This is episode 214 of Girl on Guy. Welcome to the show. I am talking to you from my... A uh, lovely and capacious hotel room in New York, where I am here to go to the Superman versus Batman premiere. And if you don't think that uh, my panties are in a damp and uh, emotional wad over this, well, then you are highly mistaken. I cannot wait. I love shit like this. I'm stoked to be here. I hosted the Batman versus Superman panel at Comic Con last summer, and now I'm at the premiere. Well, I'm not at the premiere. I'm in my room. But in a minute, I'm going to leap up and put on a dress and run out the door and go to the premiere and plots, 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 plots. That's what I'm going to do. I am an unabashed. I am unafraid to be emotional. I am unafraid to be enthusiastic. I do not mind. Uh, I do not. I do not mind nor object. Uh, well, not naivete, but you know, ingenuousness. Why not? The life is short. Why not get stoked about stuff that you love? So that's what's happening in just a few minutes. But before that, I want to let you know that this episode of Girl on Guy is with Jane's addiction guitarist. Dave, and also solo artist and Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist. Okay, he's just rad on the whole, as a, as a whole, uh, Dave Navarro. And before I get into that conversation, I want to remind you that you can A, see me in a variety of places, including every Wednesday night on Criminal Minds, um, every Thursday night on Archer on FX, and uh, starting, I think, in May on the new season of Whose Line Is It Anyway, and of course, every single day on CBS on the talk. So uh, there are lots of ways to, to uh, connect with me, uh, even though Girl on Guy has become a monthly show and has stopped being a weekly show, you still have lots of other opportunities to check uh, to check me out. So do that, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter to find out more about what's going on. This episode of Girl on Guy is brought to you by Audible, and Audible is a long-time 
an ongoing and enthusiastic supporter of Girl and Guy, and I thank them for their ongoing support. It's it's great to have a company believe in the podcast as much as I do and as much as you do, so I thank them for that. And you know, when you avail yourself of these offers, you are letting these advertisers know that supporting Girl and Guy is a good choice for their company. You can go to audible.com slash guy to get your free 30-day trial of Audible and go get an audiobook of your choosing to listen to and enjoy at your leisure. You know, I read my own audiobook for Self-Inflicted Wounds. That is always an option for you and a, and a great choice. I'm, I'm not going to dissuade you from that choice. That's your best choice. But there are lots of other choices on there, including several authors that have appeared on Girl on Guy in the past, such as Dave Eggers and Anthony Bourdain and Tay Diggs and Brad Meltzer. Lots of opportunities, Kelly Carlin, lots of opportunities for you to avail yourself of writers that have appeared on this show by visiting Audible dot com slash girl on guy to get your free 30 day trial. I always recommend a book, but I'm not going to do that this year. I'm just going to encourage you to go to audible.com slash girl on guy and check out uh, what is available to you there because there's so much awesome stuff on Audible. Whatever writer you love, they probably have a version of their book. I think last month I was talking, or the last time I talked about Audible, I was talking about uh, Neil Gaiman and his books. I've recommended Susan Cain's Quiet before on the show if you want to learn more about introverts and uh, and clinical introversion. Um, but there's just so many cool things on there. And it's really, look, the world is your fucking oyster. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you waiting for? Go get on there and get yours. Whatever you want to listen to in your car or on the beach or in the shower, if you have some kind of waterproof apparatus for precisely such an occasion, you can do it. And all you have to do is go to audible.com slash girl on guy to get your free 30 day trial courtesy of audible and uh, yours truly. So check it out. They have been a longtime supporter of the show, and they are great, and you are great. And it seems utterly apparent to me that you should come together in Audible book deliciousness. So visit audible.com slash guy for your free 30-day trial. Check that out. All right. As mentioned, this episode is with a uh, guitarist, a musician, a filmmaker, uh, and all-around very, very compelling artist, uh, Dave Navarro. He's... Um, at, got a new film out about a a really, really traumatic experience that happened to him when he was young. Um, And and it's not a secret, but we talk about it in great detail. The film is called Morning Sun, and it is a documentary about the murder of his mother when he was 15. Um, It is an incredibly compelling movie. You can see it now on iTunes, and I'll put links on the website. We talk about the film but and about the experience, about what happened to him, about this terrible, traumatic awful nightmare of an experience that happened to him when he was a a young person and how he recovered from it, um, how it affected him and, and lots of stuff about his life. But I encourage you to watch the movie because this is really a companion to that. It doesn't supplant watching that film, which goes into what happened in in great depth. And it's a very emotional film and, and really meaningful. So check that out. It's called Morning Sun. It's available now on a variety of platforms. I watched it on iTunes. But you probably know Dave Navarro um, as a, a guitarist, singer, songwriter. He was a founding member of the band Jane's Addiction, which is back together now in touring, and also a former member of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and all kinds of other cool bands including collaborations with Nine Inch Nails and uh, Marilyn Manson, Guns N' Roses, Janet Jackson, lots of cool, cool stuff. Anyway, um, this is a great conversation, and he's very forthcoming and present, and uh, it was really uh, really an honor to sit down with him, and I 
loved having this conversation and I know you're going to enjoy it. So here it comes. This is Girl on Guy, 214, with a musician, guitarist, singer, songwriter, and actor, Dave Navarro, coming at you straight out of my hotel room in New York City and right into your face. Rock and roll. Um, Dave Navarro, welcome to my show. Good to see you. I'm really excited to have I am you too. here. Um, and I, we're going to go back to the beginning, I think, but I, I want to say something about you that I find so compelling because I feel like people obviously know you as a musician. But looking at like everything you've done, especially like in the last decade, I feel mm-hmm. like you're really like a polymathic. You're doing a lot of shit. I, I don't know how I fell into doing that, but yeah, I, I, I really do just kind of go after what's interesting to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think what I find is that um, doing one particular artistic endeavor <clears throat> or program or, or process kind of speaks to the other. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yes, I'm a musician and that's my whole thing and that's what I started off doing, but getting into filmmaking helps me look at music differently. Getting into television helps me look into filmmaking and music differently, and and having a radio show helps me uh, stay in the moment. So there's there's advantages to all that. The only disadvantage is that I have very very little time to myself. Yeah, yeah. Know? I mean, I, I, there's so many interesting things about that approach to life. One of them is like, do you find that doing all those different things also activates different parts of your brain? Like, I imagine Absolutely. music cannot not get boring, but if you're if you have an incredible proficiency at it, maybe it doesn't challenge you as much as it might have when you were younger it becomes challenging on different levels mm-hmm. like it used to be uh technically musically speaking it was challenging then it became about the live performance and that became challenging then it became about recording and that was challenging and now sometimes it's just challenging to get on the bus <laughs> you know what i mean like <laughs> yeah exactly. especially knowing that you're with the same people because it becomes a family yeah and in a lot of ways a band dynamic becomes a very dysfunctional family right, right. so you love these people like brothers and siblings but you have a very dysfunctional relationship with them so you need each other to move forward yet at times you can't stand each other and that becomes more challenging on a human level yeah rather than on you know in terms of your profession God, that's so interesting. I, I was just thinking about this the other day. So I want to ask you this. Does it feel, because obviously I feel like maybe some kind of monster was one of the first times where people really talked about like a band being like a marriage and then sure. being like a bad sure. marriage or a failing marriage. Sure. Does it feel like that some sometimes? <sighs> yes. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, it, it changes from day to day. I mean, mm-hmm. the human condition obviously changes from moment to moment sometimes. And if you have two people in a, in a, in a marriage or in some kind of a, uh, a close relationship, of course, that's going to vary and fluctuate from time to time. Now you're throwing four people in the mix, four or five people, and you have ego and creativity and all those other elements. So yeah, for sure, it gets challenging in terms of, of working through that stuff and and really being able to own what your part in all of it is. Because I also feel like people expect and well they they tolerate and even expect for bands to fall apart. Mm-hmm. Like like Well, we have many times. Right. I right, mean, we've yeah. broken up quite a few times. And, yeah. And uh, gotten back together. I mean, it is a relationship yeah, in that way, Absolutely. Right? I mean, it's been either drugs or it's been uh, you know, combustible relationships or whatever the case may be um you know and then of course we come back together because it's what we do it's who we are it's what we know uh kind of like staying together for the kids except this time the kids are your songs and the audience right you know what i mean and and you know let's let's 
be honest, like you got to make a living as yeah. well. Yeah. Do you find, I mean, like, like obviously you've done, you've worked with so many bands and you've yep. also done a lot of solo work, but I think people know you best for Jane's Addiction. And sure. I, I guess I wonder, um, does it, when you go, whenever you guys get back together and, and money, not money issues, but like, you know, the fact that you have to make a living aside. Sure. When you guys come back together, does it feel like a relief or does it feel like a burden? I think a little of both. Mm -hmm. A little of both. I think that uh, now at this phase of our career, most of us have other avenues. Like I have the Ink Master show and Perry Farrell has Lollapalooza. You know, so we have different things that we do. So it's it's a little bit more elective at this age. Do you know what I mean? Like we do it because we love it and we want to. And ultimately it's better to be in the band than to have been in the band. Right. You know what I mean? Right, yeah, seriously. And we all kind of came to terms with that. Like we definitely were spent plenty of years not being in the band. Yeah. And it wasn't as great. You know what I mean? It just yeah. wasn't as good. So yeah. um, I think we've come to terms with that. And I think that maybe even now we stay in it for more altruistic reasons because we do make a living somewhere else now. Yeah. So, so then it becomes a bit more joyful. It is more joyful because, you know, our rent doesn't depend on shows. It's just we want to have a good time. There's something else that's happened, and I feel like, for whatever reason, Jane's Addiction always had this kind of mythological um, image or identity mm. with fans, and even with people who weren't like avid Jane's Addiction sure. fans, and I don't, I'm going to ask you about that in a minute, but... Well, it's funny you say that, because I've been talking about the mythological image today. Just today, I was talking about Tell that me. with how people don't have that anymore. Mm-mm. No. It, I'll let you ask your question, yeah. and then I'll comment on the whole thing overall, because... Okay. Because I was I was thinking about that. I was thinking like like even if you weren't like even if you did have all of your albums, I feel like there there was just Jane's Addiction represented something very specific. Yes. Musically, culturally, everything. Yes. I wonder if the band breaking up augmented that mythological like it, it you know, it's like loving Pink Floyd. Like Pink Floyd's never getting back together. And right. so there's something of so Jane's Addiction going away made people yearn for it more. Absolutely. And even Coming back together, we have a different lineup than mm-hmm. we originally had. Mm-hmm. So even the new incarnation of Jane's Addiction doesn't have that mystique that the old Jane's Addiction had. But also, you have to understand that we we were on the you know within a number of bands that were on the cusp of the alternative movement. We created Lollapalooza. We started yeah. the touring festival thing. Um, you know, we were in a handful of bands that really kind of broke out of being you know underground mm-hmm. and be, being and so because of that, it became yeah there was a mystique. But even today, I was thinking about why is it that artists and musicians and uh, actors even have less of a mystique attached to them? They may be hugely famous, but the mystique is something that's very different. Back in those days, you had the album, you had the art on the album. You would stare at. You had the picture of the band and the music, and that's it. And everything else in between, you had to invent in your head. Whereas now, it's like, hey, getting on a plane to go to Chicago. See you there, kids. Seriously. You know what I mean? Everybody is updating everybody about every single move they make, yeah. which isn't very mystifying. No. You know what I mean? Like, oh, feel... they're they're waiting in the airport like everybody else. Right. That's not, you know, that's no. not a lot of mystique there. And if you're on the other side of that, if you're feeding that machine, you mm-hmm. feel almost obligated to tell people about like these mundane details of your life. Like yeah. anybody gives a fuck. Well, now that's the whole thing. Is like, well, social is really important and you got to stay into it. But all it really is to me is... You know, I, now this Snapchat's the big thing. Oh, Are you doing that? No, and my assistant, I have like a like a fourteen year old assistant. He's like, you really need to start. Everybody's doing telling Snapchat. me you got to do it. And I'm like, listen, I'm 
don't want to be that self-involved yes. all day long, multiple yes. times a day. Yes. It, like, like I've got creates. Facebook, I got Twitter, I got Instagram. Now there's some new thing and I just got to be all about Dave all the time. Right. I'm not interested. Yeah. I'm not that interested in me. <laughs> no. I'm becoming I this person who's so turned inwards. It's crazy. It's nuts. So I think that speaks to why the mystique is kind of dissolving and it's right. just becoming about famous right. you know and that's that's kind of not what i got into this whole thing for so right. i think that's another reason why i like to challenge myself because i have found that like i do a political talk show on kabc in los mm-hmm. angeles mm-hmm. and tell me the name of it again it's called politics fix that's cool and what i like about it is that it's nerve-wracking it's scary. It's uh, moment to moment. You know, there's that energy that happens that I don't, to be honest, after 30 years of playing music, I don't have that when I step on stage. Yeah. Shooting Ink Master, knowing that we're filming it and editing it and putting it out, I'm not nervous and there's not that friction in the air. But when you're doing live radio, it's, and it's also a brand new world for me to mm-hmm. be speaking publicly about that kind of thing, there's that electric fear based thing that you want to overcome that's kind of exciting and kind of one of the things I became addicted to when I got into this world. Um, addicted is the best word for it. And I, uh, I feel like certain people need an element of fear yeah. in their lives yeah. at all times. And, oh, yeah. And I'm I don't one think of that's them. necessarily negative. Like I feel like fear can spur growth. Well, or fear or, is the umbrella word, but right. within fear is just being anxious and nervous and excited and unsure. I mean, it doesn't have to be this terrifying right. thing. You know, that's the umbrella word. And uh, I, yeah, I need to exist somewhere in the umbrella, mm-hmm. hopefully on the outside of it, not quite right underneath <laughs> it. <laughs> it's gripping. <laughs> that's no good. Um, I want to, I want to circle back to the word fear mm-hmm. because I feel like that'll bring us into, I mean, that was like an overarching theme in the film. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But before we get to that, you were talking about a little bit more about the mystique of Mm -hmm. Jane's addiction. And Mm -hmm. I guess the thing I wanted to ask you about was I, I really thought a lot about the name and then about kind of your public mystique, your personal mythology. Mm -hmm. So this is a stupid question. So I'm just going (laughs) to, I'll just ask it because I sound like a 15 year old. Like that name of that band. Mm -hmm invokes a very specific kind of narrative, right? I think by design, yeah. Okay. So, of course, the question is, was it by design? Yeah. And then I guess the second question was... I mean, it certainly wasn't a double entendre of any kind. (laughs) It wasn't, like, supposed to be subtle. (laughs) She didn't get it. It's like addiction, (laughs) like she's a drug addict, or like she's a drug addict. Right. There's only one way. There's only one way to go go with that. So, secondarily, I wonder if... I wonder where in your own personal relationship with drugs and as a band where that came in, but also did you or the band ever feel like you had to live up to that? No, never, never. I mean, I think the reality is that we were far worse than anybody could have possibly imagined. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, No, there was never, I mean, you know, we're in a different time, you know, we came up at a time and certainly in today's culture, it's not necessarily a cool thing to be destroying your life. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Thank, thankfully, that's not the way it is anymore. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact like we're talking about, like the artistry and, and just personalities are so open these days that they're, you know, we don't as fans fill in the void anymore mm-hmm. in our mental imagery. We can see exactly what everybody's doing in between. Um, and you can see the aftermath, right? Yeah, I mean, there's for the idea sure. of the myth of the party, but you can see what happens the next day. And- yeah, for sure. And no, I mean, 
Listen, when you're strapped with a drug addiction, you don't have to live up to anything because right. it's got you. Right. And you're coming along whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I this do. was, in my case, it was a full blown drug addiction. And I, there was no choosing in the matter. Right. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't inflate it. I couldn't deflate it. It, it dictated what my life was going to be. Mm-hmm. I've, with my experience with people in my life who had addiction and, um, you know, things I've read and things I've studied, I do, I, I, I wonder, and I, even a little bit of what was addressed in Morning Sun, mm-hmm. it felt um, like that became the structure, that became the structure of the day. Like everyone who I know who is working through addiction is like, the structure was about that. It wasn't oh, yeah. like I got high in between Full-time the cracks. Full-time job. Full-time job. stuff that stuck in between the cracks of getting high. Work was in between, life was in between, friends were in between. I mean, it, it's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, it becomes a coping mechanism, but even more so than that, if there is traumatic, if there's a traumatic experience that you can point to, that experience becomes an excuse, right? You know, because right. I had this tragic event happen when I was a kid, and I became a drug addict. And while I'm a drug addict, I can say, you know what? What do you expect? This tragic thing happened mm-hmm. between you and me and whoever's listening. I was well on my way to being a drug addict prior to any tragic event. Right. Not to mention it would be unfair to the millions of people who suffer trauma that don't become drug addicts out yeah. there. Yeah. You know, tragedy doesn't equal drug addict, but in a lot of cases it does equal an excuse to get away with pretty much anything you want to do. Right. You know. Framed well, framed within the right, you know, in the right way, you know, I could it's manipulation. Yeah. Yeah, and, and which is a, a kind of a big aspect of the of the addiction paradigm, which is like, how can oh, I make sure. all this work for me and my addiction? No doubt in my mind, do I believe that it is a disease, and there is a you know that component to addiction for sure. So I'm not saying that I just use drugs freely and then said, ah, oh, well, what do you expect? I mean, there was definitely a uh, a genetic predisposition there mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. I think that once for me, once I had anything I could point to and say, leave me alone, which it worked for many years, leave me alone because what do you expect me to do? Um, I think that that may have kind of escalated the using quite a bit. Yeah. You know? Well, let's talk about that. Is that okay if we talk about that traumatic experience? Whatever um, you want to talk about. Okay, good. So, um, you know, I I was so this isn't the right word, Dave, but just uh, I guess touched by the bravery of your film, and I feel like um, you know, like one of the things you said in the film was, you know, like I just need to look at this clearly. I need to like be in it. I need yes. to stop hiding it, stop yes. burying it. Yes. I think a lot of people would do all of those things, and not just because of trauma or pain or anguish, but even because of. I don't know, shame or a lot of other stuff that you shouldn't sure, be feeling about sure, something like this sure. that happened in your life. But, um, and I want to encourage right now everybody to go watch this film because I feel like it's so emotionally um, intricate. It is. But I don't think this conversation, I think this conversation will be a companion to that. So would you, be, would you like to, to can we talk about like Whatever what you happened want. to you? Um, so you were a teenager mm-hmm. when, um, and your parents had divorced when you were a kid. Well, I didn't realize you were going to go that personal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's too much, too much. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Tell me about uh, Ink Master. Um, uh, and your mom, your parents were divorced and your mom was dating a guy who ended up being very, like, violent. violent. Yeah. And he ended up killing your mom and killing her best friend. Yes. Um, 
and you talk you talked in the movie about it, but I guess the thing that I wanted to ask you about was like how much is what's happened since colored your memory of that time? Like, do you have a pure memory of what that was like when it was of the crime itself of the, of finding out about it? Um, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot for that kind of recall to come back. Mm-hmm. In fact, finding out about that kind of crime in my case, and I think in a lot of, of a lot of cases is that what we're dealing with really is trauma, mm-hmm. you know? So it was a, tra- it was a horribly traumatic event, but f- if you're talking sp- specifically finding out that day, mm-hmm. is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Or since then? And it's, it, in that window of time. Which of like, window are you talking about? The window of, of being at your dad's house and mm-hmm. hearing about your mom being yes. killed. And that narrow window of kind of something, I feel like something that terrible mm-hmm. maybe isn't real for a little while. Um, it was pretty real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I mean you know, me. yeah, I guess, and I guess everybody processes it differently. Like, you know, kind well, of. Well, I mean, in that case, it was pretty impossible for that to not feel yeah. real. I mean, this so is extreme. my mother for starters. It was the place that I lived. It was all my friends changed. Uh, it was her boyfriend who did it. I lost my aunt. There was a funeral. I had to move. I mean, right. I can't tell you the domino effect of things. Multiple traumas happened to Multiple you. Multiple traumas. Yeah. So like for that to not feel real, like right. there's, at that point, point there's really no like denial like mm-hmm. I would love to I, w- I you know I think back I wish denial kicked in a little bit you know yeah. but there was no room for denial it's like you know fight and and you know get through it mm-hmm. I mean that's re- or or death I mean yeah. those are the only two choices you're fight- at least it feels that way um but in terms of where it went from there I mean the trauma of being a, a young teenager, losing my mother in such an incredibly violent way, to finding out about it, to knowing that her killer is still on the loose for years afterwards, mm-hmm. um, and then every tiny piece of my familiarity is totally shot, and now mm-hmm. I'm you know in a new home. I don't have my friends. Like you know, it's yeah. school, and like people who might identify with this, other survivors, like every little piece of your life is different from that day forward. Right. You go back to school. When you finally go back to school, your friends, they're kind of looking at you and whispering, there's the guy who's, you know, that's the guy who was mom was killed. Like, for all the way down the line, there's some little nuance of trauma that seeps into your, your existence. And so uh, part of the process for me in making this film and telling this story was to put all those things in a narrative. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about, uh, in filmmaking, of course, you want to have a, a cohesive narrative. Mm-hmm. But I think, and also in terms of overcoming trauma, you want to have a narrative and put things together in a way that can be looked at and understood so that they aren't these just really horrific ideas rolling around in your head, carefree, doing what they want to do, hitting you when they want to. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, Un- uh, just unmanageable. It's, it's yeah. highly unmanageable. So when you put it in a narrative like that, it it's easier to make sense mm-hmm. of, as hard as that is to, to understand, maybe for someone who hasn't been through it, it takes a while to make linear sense of a yeah. situation like that. Um, we talked about multiple traumas, but... Earlier, I was talking about fear, and you talked about fear in the film, and and I think there was this thing that you actually were able to summarize or um, 
break down really beautifully, which is that you you have the, the fear of the, the actual event, right? That just the kind of natural fear that was generated mm-hmm. of such mm-hmm. a traumatic thing happening. And also knowing that you weren't, you were supposed to be home that sure, night. Sure. And it was just by chance. A miracle. That you weren't there. Yeah. But then the fear of knowing this guy was alive. So there was this ongoing concern that he sure. might show back up. I mean, sure. Obviously, you want him to be brought to justice, but I mean, the flip side of that is this guy's running rampant, and he yeah. could show up here and try sure, to kill sure. me. And that was a part of your life for a good part of your youth. I think maybe a, a good eight years after the murders, he wasn't caught. I mean, he was just on the run. At large. At large. Yeah. So we didn't know, is this guy doing everything he can to get as far away from here in some other country or is he plotting the return to finish everybody off? You know, you don't know. Especially when you deal with somebody who is clearly uh, violent and clearly irrational, mm-hmm. then you can't make sense of what their next move is going to be. Yeah, you can't we couldn't analyze see, him. We sure didn't see that last move coming. Yeah, <laughs> Do you yeah know what I mean? exactly, exactly. So I have no idea what his next one is, but of course we were on our toes for a long time. And that was... Uh, you know that that added to the whole traumatic uh, element of this whole thing. Um, so, I mean, the more I think about that, I'm amazed that we got through it as well as we did. A lot of times, when someone is living in a state of fear for whatever reason, they um, try to run through it uh, mm-hmm. or manufacture a way to run through it. Right? Um, you talked in the film about. Um, not just drugs and alcohol, but that you that you were cutting, that you were doing other stuff. Sure. And like, wait, I'm afraid of something terrible happened to me, so I'm going to do something terrible to myself. Maybe as a way to like... I don't know about that. Is that, that how it felt to you? Because that sounds like... I mean, there is shame. That seems super, that seems super self-aware. You know? yeah, it's, yeah, it's not quite that like that. And, and there are experiences of shame that we go through. Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't I do something? How could I get, let myself get into a situation like this? You know, so we had... You know, there was shame all throughout the family about the situation. But those things that you're talking about, I think, was was me finding a comfortable place at the emotional bottom, mm-hmm. being used to it, mm. being that I can't get blindsided by life because I'm already living down here. Right, right. Nothing, you know what I mean? Nothing, nothing worse than this can happen. Right. So yeah. like we had this murder, this happened. So instead of like trying to run to the light and then get crushed again, hit by a bus that I'm not looking for, you right. know, just kind of hover down at the bottom of the, of the whole thing. And that way when the next parent dies or when, you know, the girlfriend leaves you, you're already in a pretty, you know, warm, comfortable depression anyway. So you're not falling that far. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's fun to laugh about now, but that really is like the weird rationality behind it. it, I mean, you you said that in the film as well. Like there's this idea, okay, well now it's been revealed to me that, that, that the world is a terrible place. Yeah. So fuck it. Like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. 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 And I will say, you know, between you and me and, and, uh, what did like Six or seven people listen uh, to this. Sixteen million. <laughs> <laughs> you know, between all of us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they weren't all bad times. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair too. You know I think that's mean? fucking fair. I mean, there's something very human about embracing every aspect of yeah, being alive. Yeah, and know? I still do. I don't do drugs anymore, but I'm still like very drawn to the darkness and you know uh, the dingy elements of life and uh, our human condition. And mm-hmm. I love it, and it's it's fascinating to me. And I I still watch Investigation Discovery you know, like 12 out of 24 hours a day. And I still watch crime documentaries and I collect art done by serial killers, stuff that you would think I would be have left behind. have an aversion to. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And, uh, you know, so, but I think that as long as I have a good foot in the light and, uh, you know, uh, an interest in healing and in moving forward and getting through stuff, like, it's fine. Like, and that's why in the film, as dark of a subject as it is, we tried to focus a little bit on humor mm-hmm. because what's the point, man? If you're not laughing, why even try? Right, because right. Because I mean, you can't find a sliver of humor. And, yeah. and not even that. It's just a release valve. Like, mm-hmm. it's pressure, 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 intense sadness, darkness. Like, if you can't release that valve at one point or another, you're going to, you know, I would have been joining my mom a long time ago. Right. And it's your, but and it's also, it's your story to mm-hmm. process as you will. You but know I what I mean? Like, you should be able to feel however the fuck you want to feel about it because it's yours. Well, as a filmmaker, I'll tell you this. Like, you know, there's I'm the subject of the film, but I'm also a producer. And, and actually started off as a co-director mm-hmm. and then gave those reins to my partner, Todd Newman, because I was right. like, you know what, man? Just direct this on yeah. your own because yeah. I, can't, I can't be in this and watch it and direct it because right. it's, you know, it's just too much. I might as well get a Snapchat account. <laughs> exactly. But, um, you know, as the filmmaker, I, f- I wasn't aware that there would be elements of this thing that could speak to others and help others until we were towards the end of the process. Mm-hmm. And then we were like, wow, you know, this could actually be beneficial to other people, mm-hmm. drug addicts, trauma survivors, domestic violence, what have you. Um, but uh, I left in the humor section and the drug section and the different elements of learning to cope and trying things and moving on because I wanted to speak to other people that may or may not have shame about those coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. wow, see... Maybe I'm not alone. Right. Maybe maybe it's okay that I, I I laugh here and there. Maybe it's okay that you know I've tried some. I made some stupid choices. You know, there's no blueprint for life, and like, and certainly no blueprint for something like this. Right. Right. And and you know, to put it like super, really simply, look at this person who's successful and has had all these experiences and has had all of this exposure to the world, and mm-hmm. he's still dealing with the same shit that I'm dealing with. Yeah. You know, he's going through the same stuff. But I mean, hopefully, to say. You know, it is surmountable. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So I think that's what the... There's a multitude of messages that I wanted to contain. One is that, yes, you can move on and have a happy life. Two is there's a warning signs. There's a warning sign within the domestically violent situation that you can look for, mm-hmm. take action about. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want it to be preachy. Right. Right. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, it was. it's personal. And then... Uh, it's an art it's, film. This is know, my... It's, it's, yeah. an, it's, it's a crime film that's got a message put together in an artistic framework that I, you know, at least that some people would say is art damaged to mm-hmm, a degree. Mm-hmm. But um, that's what we wanted it to be. In the movie, you do something very brave, speaking of fear and bravery, which is that you go and you eventually meet with the man who mm-hmm. killed your mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you, you, you weren't allowed to film it. Mm-mm. And I felt like... I wanted to know more about that conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after I watched the film. Of course. Did you keep it out because you didn't want to share it? Legally, in California, if someone is on death row, you can't bring any cameras, cameras or recording devices, mm-hmm. at least in California. Mm-hmm. But also, and I understand that that's something that people would want to see. My first answer to people who wanted to see that is... Haven't I shown you enough? <laughs> Number one. <laughs> you <laughs> okay. greedy bastard. Jesus. <laughs> Number two, you legally can't do it in mm-hmm. California. And number three, if you 
just out of uh, respect to my family, respect to other sufferers of domestic violence, I am not interested in turning this guy into a folk hero. Right. I am not interested in putting this guy on camera and creating a a scenario where he's getting fan mail now. Right, right. Or when he's going to get a marriage proposal or a movement to, you know, uh, you know what I mean? That's Mm -hmm. not what this is about. Mm -hmm. And if you look at any, like, true crime television show, they focus in on the complexity of the killer and there's plenty of that out there and these guys are becoming you know they're becoming uh, famous for lack of better words Mm -hmm. and i'm not interested in that i was interested in exposing and the going to the san quentin to visit this guy was all about my journey yeah it's not his journey but and and to pursue into that, I just wanted to know about you. I wanted to know about what you said to him. I wanted to know about what you got from the experience. I was just I, so I curious it, about. I went over it in the film, but I'll, I'll give you a, a quick synopsis of it. Um, it was very awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't expect me. We didn't call ahead. Mm-hmm. We just sat down. Um, I knew that he was not going to take any responsibility, so I didn't look for it. Mm-hmm. In fact. My intention was to go and sit in the same room with this guy, look him in the eye, and leave. Only to have the experience of walking into the prison, seeing him in place 30 years later, and then know that I'm walking out, he's not. Yeah. And there was something empowering about that. The The specific conversation was so diluted and not... Uh, not full of accusation or tears or rage or anything like that. And I got to tell you, when I left the prison, I was, I judged myself like, why, why didn't I have an angry reaction? Why didn't I condemn this guy? Why didn't I, you know, start screaming at him? And the reality is, and in hindsight, luckily I can see this, the experience that I had was not rageful because I didn't want to have, because the only person that hurts is me. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Because it's not, he's not going to like all of a sudden feel bad. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. We're dealing with a psychopath here. So if I could hold myself and walk, walk into there, into the prison and look this guy in the eye and walk out and have dignity and grace and look at it as an exercise and a healing exercise, I'm the one who's going to prosper in that scenario. Yeah. If I went in there with accusations and anger, I could have walked out of there more traumatized. Yeah. And that's a danger I didn't even consider until after the whole thing. Right. That's so beautifully put. Because you, and I think for anybody who is listening who has gone through something traumatic, it really should be about like the victim finding a way to heal. So if that was meaningful to you to see, did you feel like it was the last, um, the last hurdle? Yeah. Like the last thing you had last fire you had to walk through. You think think that, you know, and I I think going in there, I thought that, but you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, a murder is just so hard to get over. What I, I will tell you what did happen though is, um, you know, because like I say in the film, there's never a day where you're all okay with it. Right. There's no closure when <laughs> there's you not, use someone to, yeah, you know, it's yeah. Like it, it doesn't suck anymore all right, of a sudden. Like right. that doesn't happen. But what I will say is that having gone through this process has really opened up um, you know, a lot of my memory of my experience with my mom prior to all of this mm. when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Because I think that 
to deal with the trauma, like, you know, there's an element where we protect ourselves. We shut down. We don't think about the event. We don't want to think about the killing. We don't want to think about the pain. But along with that is all the good stuff because you don't want to be vulnerable to being brought back into the pain. So I think that I had shut down a lot of the really beautiful stuff. And so after this experience, a lot of that stuff came back into my heart, which is really an objective that I didn't know I was looking for. I didn't know that I'd shut anything out. It just, it presented itself, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. was, and I will say that, and I don't recommend everybody make a movie about their most horrific event, you know what I mean? But yeah. this is my story. And for me, it the gifts are still showing themselves, you yeah. know? I mean, it's the the amount of beauty that has come as a result of doing this film that has come back to my life is, you know, immeasurable. That's awesome. Do you find, this is, oh, this is the most wide open question. And then I want to talk a little bit about how you became a musician. Okay. Do you, how do you find, this is a shitty question, everybody. Don't judge me. How do you find yourself as an artist now? And what What I I mean mean is like, um, we're about the same age. Okay. And, that's her way of saying that I'm older. No, that's just that's <laughs> way of, that's my way of saying that I'm older. <laughs> Give or take a decade. <laughs> no, we're we're I mean we're 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 yeah. we're close in the same age, and I, I've I've really changed. Like my approach oh, to my yeah. work has really oh, changed yeah, yeah, a me lot, too. especially like in the last let's say five years. Like what I want for myself, how I want to see the world, how I want to express myself has mm-hmm. really altered dramatically. Of course. Oh, me too, without a doubt. Yeah, and. You were just talking about all this beauty that came into your life for making this film, but I guess uh, with that as a part of this, I just wonder, you know, when you're young, you have all this energy, right? And it's mm. kind of blind. I don't and have it's that intense. energy anymore. You know what I mean? But it's, it can be very <laughs> one-pointed, right? Yeah. I just feel like your scope gets so much wider. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wonder, it, 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 that's why I say it's, it's a bad question because it's not really like a pointed question. It's yeah. just... How do you th- how do you f- how do you see yourself as an artist now versus maybe when you were like twenty five and like in the midst of being like a white hot rock star? Like, how is it different for you? It's such a wide, it's such an open ended. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, think a lot about this shit. I think a lot about. Um, I, I can say that you know, in the in the public sense, you know, I've always been a true creative person privately. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly in the studio and the re- in the rehearsal room and whatever the case may be, musically speaking. Um, but once the song's recorded and the record's out and like you let go of that, like it's all about the heart. Everything else becomes about the perception. Right. So um, I think when I was a lot younger, the perception was more important to me than it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, how does this look to people? How do, right. how am I coming across to people mm-hmm. now? I mean, you know, I, you know, I, I, I still care, of course, you know, <laughs> we but, all I, do. Yeah. but I mean, like, it's not the number one end all be all thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in those days it was. And I think that also for me, I am, I've just got my hands in so many different areas that I think that what's exciting for me is to remain, and this sounds corny, cornier than your question. <laughs> I like to remain teachable in all my areas. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just to know that, you know, I haven't, quote unquote, arrived anywhere. Right. Because but, I've been looking for that finish line for 20 years. Right. And I do think when you're 25, you think you figured everything out. Oh, yeah. And it's literally like a, 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 a you start to age backwards in terms of your sense of how competent you are. And I just mean like, oh, God, there's still so much shit to do and learn. Well, I, I, yes, I agree. And, um, and I'm 
part of me is like that. Mm-hmm. And the other part of me just wants to stop doing anything and just watch TV all day long and <laughs> never do anything ever again. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there is a part of me that looks for that, that never ending finish line of life right? where I've made enough money. I have the right relationship. I don't have to fill my car with my car with gas. I don't have to like whatever the, you know, the daily hurdles that we go over until we die. Mm-hmm. I just want at some point for it to be finished. Right. And then I can just coast for the rest of my life. But that's never going to happen. No, never going to happen. And never going to happen just as an observer because looking at you, you have a complex mind and you need to do a lot of shit. I mean, that's, there's. I think you can want to be a simpler person. You have no idea how many like daydreams I have about moving to Cape Cod and having a home with a lighthouse. <laughs> that's and just adorable. A lighthouse, right? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't that yeah, sound awesome? super cute. And then just like, you know, just existing and being, I would go out of my fucking mind. You'd lose it. I would lose it. Mm-hmm. I can't you know? sit still for 45 minutes. Today I was like, I got in before you came and I was like, I'm going to do some research. I'm going to think about what I want to talk about with Dave and then I'm going to read a magazine. And then I read a magazine for like six minutes. I was no. like, who the fuck reads magazines? No, no, no. I'm like wasting, you know, wasting Unless time. Unless it's a story about you. Who yeah. cares? <laughs> Indeed. I just looked at my Snapchat feed. Um, Knowing your knowing the Dave Navarro mythology, I think people would feel like uh, the the two things were forged together, right? Like you became a rock star, and then you be you started doing drugs, and but you were a musician from a very young age. Yeah, yeah. What was the moment that catalyzed that for you? Like, what was the moment where you decided that you wanted to be a musician? There really, honestly, was no moment. I think that you know, when I was very very young, maybe six years old, I was I took piano lessons, mm-hmm. and. Around seven or eight, I decided to quit piano. I told my parents, I'm not going to play piano anymore. I'm going to play guitar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think as long as I had some after-school activity, they were cool with it. Right. Yeah, whatever. Right. As long as you're busy after school. <laughs> right. Yeah, play right. away. Have fun, kid. Um, uh, I don't know if they would have been as happy if I chose the drums. But, right, right. Um, and then from that day on, I was just, I'm a guitar player. That's it. And then it was, there was really just no option. I had no mm-hmm. backup plan. In fact, you know, the word rock star gets thrown around pretty loosely these days. And <clears throat> when I was younger and I was influenced by Jimi Hendrix and the Stones and the Beatles and Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, they're my favorites, you know, and again, this is before internet, before really MTV, anything like that. I just loved music. I didn't understand at that age that there were quote unquote perks. I didn't understand that girls like musicians. I didn't understand that they're rich. I didn't understand that they're famous. I didn't understand any, any of those things that like now people chase after whatever goal it is to achieve those things. Mm -hmm. I got into it not knowing that those things were available because I was like nine. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was meaningless to you at that point. Yeah, you didn't yeah. even like girls and, at and that point. I don't even think where... I liked them then. You know I mean? <laughs> Seriously. Like, like, but, but um, you know, and so that's when I got into it. And then at a certain age, my uh, my dad, I think this was after my mom's death, my dad asked me, you know, what I wanted to do. And I said, nah, this is it. I'm doing it. And uh, he just kind of accepted that. And I don't know how it happened, but I just, that's. I didn't have an option, and it never really occurred to me to worry that it wouldn't happen. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's exciting to know, um, even if it's just intuitive, like, oh, mm-hmm. this is who I am at, at an age that young, because that's rare. <clears throat> yeah. And I think that I understand, you know, like I, I probably, 
I'd be doing this the way I'm doing it now, or I'd be doing it at home alone. Like, right. you know, whether there's an audience or not, I would have been creating and playing music. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and that's a lot of upcoming artists ask me for advice. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them the same thing. Make sure that you love this because it's a lot of work and it is very, very rare that you're going to make it to anywhere you want to go. That's why I, I, my theory is one of the reasons why there's so many musicians and actors and artists that become drug addicts mm-hmm. is because we all think, we all, first of all, we're all extroverted because we need attention, yeah. right? And we all think a certain level of success is going to fix us and fix that insecurity. And then a lot of us get that level of success and realize, holy shit, it's not fixing anything. I still feel like an empty, insecure, f- and that's why we turn to drugs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. now what? I'm already here. Like, right. I'm supposed like, to feel better. The hole is still there. What the happens? The hole is still yeah. here. Yeah. I yeah. really think that there's an element of that to, you know, a lot of people anyway, not everybody, but it's certainly if you look at some of the artists that have, have passed, you know, I lost Scott Weiland yeah. recently, a good friend of mine, who was an exceptional talent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so many friends. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about also the fact that, um, so this is the thing when I was talking about how you see yourself as an artist now. Oh, I probably didn't answer it at all. No, no, no. Everything you said was brilliant. Um, It was about like a creation and destruction, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and and not to make it about me, but I want to tell you what I was thinking about so it'll help kind of frame how I was thinking about you. Because I had like a very... Really, like comparatively anyway to you, like a pretty straight-laced run, like sure. from you know when I was younger to now. I was a fan of yours since the dating show. Oh, whatever, was whatever. Fifth Wheel. <laughs> fifth Wheel. Yes. You know what? Me thank and my you. ex-wife oh, Carmen, and yeah. we used to watch that religiously. <laughs> so, thank you. You were the. Honey, it's starting. <laughs> oh my that, god, I love that it. That was yeah. That was a fun show to do because I I just told them I I was like I'm not going to say people are falling in love. I was like you know people are super slutty. That was my take, and it was just yeah, a bunch of very slutty people. It was the best. I loved it. But but so um but I started to find as I got a little older um like am I going to be an interesting artist if I'm not having interesting experiences? Like is this mm-hmm. kind of getting up mm-hmm. and having a kale mm-hmm. salad and driving mm-hmm. my electric car to the lot every day yeah. going to generate the kinds of experiences that're going to yeah. fuel creativity. Like I didn't feel I was like you know I didn't feel that way. I felt like sure. I was living kind of a creatively dead life. Yeah. So I started to break stuff. I was breaking a lot of stuff. You did a lot of breaking very young. For sure. And um and then putting things back together in a different way in different mm-hmm. shapes. At, you know, later in your life. And that was what I guess I meant about how do you find yourself as an artist now? Because Like what's my process the, now? Yeah, or just did the destruction, th- th- was there anything about that destruction in your early life that was meaningful to you as an artist? And comparatively, what do you do now maybe oh, I see. to well, fill that aspect I, of your I, life? I don't know, but I really believe that I've done enough destruction for a lifetime. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? And those experiences you know, thankfully are well behind me, but mm-hmm. that does not mean that I can't continue to draw on them. Right. You know what I mean? Because there was some dark, dark times and, um, you know, in weird ways, I miss them. Mm. I miss them a lot. That's fair. I don't, I feel like that's fair to say. I feel it like is maybe people are recovering feel badly or... Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, I just didn't, I just don't want to die from it. Right, you know what I mean? right, that's, yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, yeah. it's, I, 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 I had, I really did have some really great experiences 
the sad part was that my family and friends were devastated and I was killing myself. So right. that's not working. Right, but right. I can still draw upon those. And what keeps me inspired now is, you know, other artists, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge, uh, I'm an art collector and, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'll go over to the Whitney here in New York City and I'll spend the day there and that's going to mm-hmm. drive me. Right. You know, or, you know, sitting down talking to you. This is not a conversation or a pairing that one would think no. is, you know, <laughs> likely to happen. Yes. You know what I mean? But to notice those things as being what this is all about, mm-hmm. you know, and I will, you know, you and I talking and, and sharing openly like this is part of my process mm-hmm. now. You also, you know, I mean, to talk about Ink Master in a kind of a small way, but like you in a larger way, I mean, Ink Master, like it makes sense that you, that this would be your show, Mm -hmm. but it's not like you're a creation of, this is, Ink Master is like something that's a derivative of you. Well, what I love about Ink Master is that it ain't got nothing to do with me. What it is, (laughs) I host it, I say, hey guys, here's the rules, carry on, you know, get to it. Like, it's all about the artists. Right. And it's fun for me because... These are tattoo artists that are, you know, the best in their field and they're competing and they're creative and I get to be inspired by their creativity and it really has nothing to do with mine and I don't really have to be creative. I get to be a fan, you know, so that's, that's a lot of fun for me. Can I get you to explain something to me about the nature of a, 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 like an inked person Like everybody in my family Has tattoos but me Yeah Because I'm a pussy Yeah And literally well, my mother is Well a, no actually now You're just kind of Swimming against the stream You're the You're the <laughs> Might be outlier now Yeah you my are My mother and my sister Both have full sleeves Really And my sister's whole back She's got a, My sister's got one full sleeve One half sleeve Her whole back My mom Full sleeve A full like Yakuza style Full color sleeve Wow that's crazy Out of control okay. I'm the only person In my family With no like tattoos it. But I always wonder about someone who like commits their entire mm-hmm. body to ink. Um, like, what is? Uh, are you, I, I, are you yeah. trying to find out why I would do something like well, that? Yeah, like what drives it? Like what drives the part where you say, "Okay, it's not one tattoo or one sleeve, but I really am going to d- dedicate almost every exposed uh, part of my body to." And you and and you have all and you're de- you're ornamented in lots of ways. Mm-hmm. You know, your piercings and you have this little cool thing under your skin and your ear that I'm yeah, that's and, a implant right and the two artists that were in your film had some stuff in their arms yeah, like implants yeah, yeah, yeah. in their arms I mean, which I think is a relatively like at least in modern times kind of a relatively new yeah well thing. body modification people are gonna keep pushing the boundaries you know the more people like your mom who get tattooed mm-hmm. the weirder stuff you're gonna yeah, see yeah my mom is 70 by the way yeah, you know what I mean she's just getting her sleeve finished yeah now. so like you know the, I mean that's cool but um so what are you trying to understand the mentality yeah I guess of yeah, like, what, like would, what yeah what just what drives it you're really trying to find out and i'm not like your aunt no 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 i'm not because it's okay so many people close to me i was super judgmental why are you you're never gonna be buried in a jewish cemetery uh it's it's because i have so many people close to me do it i understand it from an artistic perspective but when someone goes full link i'm just always like i mean i'm relatively fully covered well for me it's just been a culmination of 30 years of getting tattooed like Mm -hmm. i didn't aim to do this mm-hmm. and I think it's just you know people either fall in love with it's a culture yeah. there's a culture to it so people either fall in love with it or they don't mm-hmm. you know and I happen to have fallen in love with it mm-hmm. uh, my first tattoo I was 17 years old it was I believe in the 80s mm-hmm. so you know there was no Instagram to see <laughs> right. who's a good artist you right know? right you just, just went like, to your local dude in. yeah right? I was like yeah. 17 I'd like a tattoo sir and uh, <laughs> it was scary hula lady it or... was scary I'm telling you like it just you would think at that 
that age, I thought it's drug dealers and hell's angels and yeah. convicts. Yeah, seriously. Criminals. Yeah. And then here comes this little twerp, 17 years old in Hollywood. But um, my da- I went with my dad when I was like eight or nine. He has his whole lower torso tattooed. That is painful. Yeah, super painful. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm, you know, so it's. I even remember then, I was like, I, I get it artistically, but I always wonder what the internal drive is. What that? I don't know. Forward. I mean, I think it's different for everybody. It's very personal for everybody. For me, at this point, it's become just about collecting from different artists mm-hmm. that I admire at this mm-hmm. point. I started off, every tattoo meant something, had to have some deep meaning. Yeah. You know, this is represents blah, blah, blah. And blah. Now I don't care. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. If I, you know, I'm with somebody who's got a machine out and we have a few extra minutes, I'm put a skull or something on right, there. Right, right. And it's just, it's, you know, there's a camaraderie to it. There's artistic creativity, ability, technical skills. Um, there's something uh, that's. Some people say that there's something that's uh, really like there's empowering about quote unquote owning my own body yeah. and making my own choices. And you know, my stepmother once uh, asked me about it. And like, aren't I worried about changing my appearance and this and that and this, and, you know, a lot of those. And I'm like, but tell me that you and your country club friends don't get Botox yeah. or implants yeah. or dye your hair or pick out the dress that you like the best. Or I'm not saying she does, but you know, whoever, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. Women, people, you know, modifying their bodies, people modify all the time. So, yeah. you know, get your, ble- your teeth bleached, whatever it is, yeah. you know, this is just what we do. And you know, I've never regretted it. Mm-hmm. I think maybe I could have had better ones done. But you know, everybody feels that way about but like, think, what, that feels sometimes I feel like that fuels the next one. Oh, I don't I don't love this one. I'm gonna get another one that's better. But if better. you think about it, if you go back to the dawn of man, human beings have been altering, modifying, and decorating their bodies since we can figure out Mm -hmm. since you know cave dwelling days Mm -hmm. they you know and even today and some tribes so i don't know i think there's something for me that's uh it's fun it's empowering it's uh it's all those different things but at the at the onset i wasn't like okay i'm gonna do my whole body right and if the 17 year old me could see the 48 year old me i you know it would I, the guy I am now would scare the 17-year-old. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. It made me also think of the fact that you had this incredibly traumatic thing happen at a young age and that w- was there ever subconsciously or consciously in your mind, life is short. I really well, have yeah, to put I'll, both feet in every oh, fucking thing all absolutely. the time. Absolutely. Life is short. I'm going to do everything I want to do when I want to do it. Now mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, I've, there's a caveat to that, which is, Unless it's going to hurt me or others. Right. But apart, you know, I didn't have that back then. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, like, just do what I want to do because it's, you know, it, it could be over very quickly and tragically, mm-hmm. unbeknownst to us. Or, you know, 90 years isn't really that long no. anymore. No, it really isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I and mean, I, to be it, fair. That becomes much more apparent to you the closer you get to that. Oh, believe me, I'm well aware of it. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute, I have no time left Every at all. time there's a celebrity death, I start adding on my fingers, okay, that's all right, all right, 12 years. What's the years. difference? 12 years now. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. You know what I mean? So those, I really have come to learn that, like, you know, make the best of it. Mm-hmm. That's that's really what I try and do. And I try and do things that are uh, would otherwise be scary for me, mm-hmm. or like we talked about in the film, or, you know, like I said, doing the radio show. It's right. like, I, 
it's scary, so it's fun. You yeah. Know? And I'm not going to shy away from something because I'm afraid of it anymore. Right. You know? Right, right. I mean, I, I run headlong. Oh, that scares me. That I should do it. I should Exactly. As soon as... Okay, there was a show called... Um, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm not an actor. Mm-hmm. And Kurt, uh, what's the guy's name? Oh, God, what's Chris' last name? Uh, shit. Uh, the internet it's will tell us, kid, but I know. I know. Us. It'll come to us in a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. And- Sutter. Kurt Sutter. Sutter said, hey, do you want to be on the show? Mm-hmm. And my first instinct was like, oh my God, I can't do it. And then I was like, fuck. Yeah. I had that thought of fear. Now I have, have to, to go. Do it. Have to I do have it. to. Yeah. Because I would rather I would rather fail than live with the shame of running. Yeah. Wouldn't you? You yes. know what I mean? And I can see, and I said this, I can see myself on my deathbed. And I, the last thing I want is my- Why t- didn't I do Sons of Anarchy? What, why the, yeah, that, I mean, that's what I'd be thinking. You fucking pussy. Why didn't you do it? You know what I mean? Like, I would much rather be like, why? Try that. And I yeah. sucked. Then to be like, oh, I should have gone for it. Because what's the point? You're not going to get to go back and do any of this again. That's right. And I think that-, I think that uh, I think that we were talking about this, like going to see my mom's killer in mm-hmm. the prison was one of those walking through fear exercises where it's like, well, I've pretty much already done the most uncomfortable, awkward, scary thing I can do. So stepping out in front of a festival audience in, in England isn't really that big a deal. Yeah. Or walking on a set where I can do 15 takes if I want to isn't right. that scary. Or sitting down with Aisha isn't scary, although you know, I was a little nervous coming were, in. Were you? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, come on. Of course. Um, well, I was a little nervous to meet you as well, so there you go. Uh, or to sit down with you anyway, to talk with you this way. That fearlessness, too, it does. It translates into everything where you embrace something terrifying to you, even if it's on a small scale. Mm-hmm. It, 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 uh, it dampens that fear everywhere. Because yeah, the worst things happen. I've done the scariest thing I, I know, could possibly but I keep, do. But my, your, my brain can figure out a way to make it still scary. <laughs> yeah, well, that was just you and him in jail. This is in front of millions of people. Right, They're right. going to judge you. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you, can, I, can I ask you like a, another really silly question? But I sure. feel like it will be meaningful to people that are listening. Yeah. Um, it oh, sounds like a meeting question. I, oh, like a what question? Like a meeting question. A like, meeting. like it's not a rock bottom question. It's... It, if you were a guy or a woman, and I'm speaking about people that I know, people that I don't know, people that are, I've related to, if you're just a person who has like a family and a job and you mm-hmm. have a drinking problem or you have mm-hmm. a drug problem, um, it's, it's hard for you, I think, to like keep your addiction going because there's so many factors that will constrain you. You've got to get your kids to school. You've got to put food on the You'd table. You'd be surprised. Yeah. And people can do it for a very long time. Oh yeah. And then they fall apart. And yeah. And hopefully they fall apart. And hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, and then that you triggers I mean? a change, yeah. right? But if you're in a band, mm-hmm. I imagine you've got a much longer runway before you hit a spot where you're like, this is unmanageable for me because people are constantly going well, to yeah. make, your, make your life Easy enough so that you can just get on stage, get to the show, God, get wish, to the I studio. Wish, Is that wish, not true? I wish it were. Okay. You know, because I'd be still getting high. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell um, me about what that was like and, and specifically when you came to a realization like you couldn't do it anymore. Well, put it this way. Like for me, it wasn't anybody getting me to the studio or getting me to the show. Like all that stuff, you the, know. My, the the, the scene he, from the wall that I just... That I well, know. I mean, I know that scene is, is very accurate, but okay, for me, it was that... I had I had money. Yeah. I had a home. I had a career. I had a car. Everything was paid for. I had food in the fridge. Like, what are you gonna say? Right. 
You're yeah, killing you your, not, you're, yeah. You're ruining your Pulling life. Your shit together. Hey, yeah. you're ruining your life. Like, right. really? Take a look at it because it looks better than yours. Yeah. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So, yeah, that was. <laughs> so, yeah. It, wait, but so, that's that's the fast track to death, right? Right. There. You know right. what I mean? That's why I say hopefully everything will fall apart because so. I, you know, I lost a lot of friends as a result of that of, mm-hmm. at that time. I've gotten them back since, but mm-hmm. at that time, it was like, well, we can't help you. You're and, on your own. Good right. Luck. We can't help you. You won't accept our help. And I can't watch but you. But there's do something this to be to said for that because I really think that you know, a lot of people do need to bottom out on their own and find their own place of where they go, you know what? This isn't working. If I had to flash back and tell you when I had that moment, I wouldn't be able to. I don't know what that was. Mm-hmm. I was very lucky. I was very, very lucky. I just decided one day I was getting high and I contacted a treatment facility and I sent them an email and it's like, I'm going to come in in eight days. So like, who does that? You know what I mean? <laughs> On their own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unbidden. An email. Yeah. So please have a room ready for me and da, da, da. And then eight days came and I went and I went. And you actually went. Yeah. Yeah. Because people was... threaten to do it all the time. I'm going to do it in a week. I'm going to do it on Monday. And, uh, you know, so I really feel like there was some divine divine intervention there for me but you know i think it just it it had to just get paint you know once it gets painful enough yeah we do something about it yeah because sometimes losing everything isn't enough right you know because we can continue we can drug addicts and alcoholics we can put up with losing quite a bit (laughs) you know (laughs) we're feel really good we're pretty okay with it right honey take care (laughs) you take the kids i'll see them on the weekends you know right and now i can drink on my own i'll get the apartment yeah yeah yeah. xbox and a six-pack i'm ready to go right take care right so you know we lose a lot of things that's you know the threat of loss isn't what gets us clean it's the way we feel Mm -hmm. you know and Mm -hmm. sooner or later it, there's no chemical or drink in the world that's going to make you feel better right. anymore. And it stops working. Right. And if we don't die before we get to that point, you know, we have hope. It's interesting that whole, it's interesting to talk about in the public space, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a dangerous thing to talk about in terms of how to get help and mm-hmm. where to get help from. There's a reason why a lot of groups are anonymous. Yeah. And the main reason, or one of them, the reason we don't like to do things on radio or on film is because there shouldn't be a spokesperson about a certain self-help environment. It's like one way to do this? Well, put it this way. You have somebody comes out and says... I tried that thing and it doesn't work and it's terrible and it's they brainwash you. Well, the world doesn't know how much that guy tried. Right. We just know your sick drug addict take on it. Yeah. And if that keeps other people from going to try, well, he said it was terrible, so I'm not doing that. And then they die. Yeah. It's a heavy responsibility. Yeah, I hear you. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, who can? And here's the other thing. They always talk about certain things being like a brainwash. Well, I don't want to be brainwashed, really. Well, then enjoy being dead. Right, you know right, right, I mean? right. You're, like, you're brainwashed in another way right now, Because right? the brain yeah. that you got needs some cleaning. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. <laughs> you know? Seriously. God, that's well put. I, I understand that that better. I, I just, I, um, I always feel like so many people feel like I'm the only person who's ever gone through this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and to hear somebody say, look, this is what I did. And this is what worked for me. Sure. You know, just do something. Do yes. something. If it works for you, great. Like, just do anything. Right. But it's 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 important to point out that there's a multitude of different resources out yeah, there. Different and ways. there's, you know, 
I find uh, personally, I find that the twelve-step ones are the best. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the highest success rates. But mm-hmm. you know, you have to apply yourself to right. them. You know, right. and uh, showing up and having a cup of coffee is not applying yourself. Right. Right. And it's, that's not being specific on any particular group. So I can speak in generalizations yeah. like that. But uh, you know, it's work. It's an inside job yeah. for sure. Are you? Are you a religious person? I'm on the fence about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have certain days where I'm a scientist <laughs> and certain days yeah. where I'm a philosopher, right, right. you know, but, um, I think that for me, have, I do have a, a relatively spiritual outlook. Mm-hmm. I, my religious thing is like, I don't really have a religion per se. I have a, uh a sense of connectedness, a sense of the universe, a sense of things being the way they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I also kind of decided that human brains probably can't understand what's at work anyway. So anyway. I'm not going to try right. and look for proof of it, you know, um, right. to but, try to comprehend the incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when coincidence presents itself, do I think it's the universe? Maybe, you know, when, uh, and, and other times I'm like, you know, hardcore science and that's the way it is and physics and blah, blah, blah. And like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the, I don't know. How about you? Um, I am an atheist and it's pretty hard to say out loud, uh, but it, it's the truth. I'm working on like being like living in the truth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I, but I guess I'm, maybe I'm agnostic. Agnostic, I'm I was going to say. Do you know what I mean? I'm just open. Like, I'm very open-minded, See, and I'm so curious about... If you're open to it, that's agnostic. Yeah, yeah. Know? I'm open. I'm, a, I'm an open-minded person. I feel like I feel like I pretty much am in the place where I, like, we cannot... It's hard for the human mind to comprehend the incomprehensible. That's what I... Yeah, it's yeah. exactly what I feel. And, and, you know, as far as religion goes, like, this, I have... The way, because I, I study religions, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I, I went to Catholic school. I'm a huge fanatic of the of the Bible mm-hmm. and biblical history and theology. And, and you use a lot of religious imagery, which is why I asked you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In you know, your dress and and yeah. obviously, you know, like in your music. And so I was just curious about it. Well, all that stuff is super significant in terms of just you know mankind and history and culture and and uh, mortality and mm-hmm. life and death and you know. Uh, uh, it just it recalls so much just whether you're religious or not you know Human it, experience. it brings up a lot and uh but i i am fanatic about about politics i'm a fanatic about religions mm-hmm. um but what i don't what i think is dangerous and what i don't like is when other religious groups come at people telling them what they should or shouldn't be thinking. Yeah. Like if you're a Christian and you're happy and you have your set of guidelines and your life is fulfilled and you're happy, cool. Yeah. I'm super happy for you. If you're a Muslim, same thing, you know? But as soon as you knock on my door on a Sunday morning telling me that I'm going to die or go to hell if I don't think like you, we have problems. <laughs> you know what I mean? Problems, yeah. Number one, you should be stoked that there's going to be more room in heaven without me in it. You know what I mean? Like, why are you trying to bring me? <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? This afterlife. Like, I thought I'm the undesirable. Worry about yourself. Right? Yeah, you know what I mean? But if I'm undesirable, why are you trying to convince me to come with you to forever? Yeah, exactly. So I always bring that up to them. That's They're like, funny. oh, okay. But, you know, so I feel like that's dangerous when we start, you know, I'm more about attraction, not promotion. Yeah. So if I'm living my life the way I am and someone is drawn to it and says, hey, man, how are you doing that? I'm happy to tell them, yeah. but I'm not going to come at someone and say, you need to do this or else. And I think that's a major problem with, with a lot of what's going on in the world today. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because people trying to force everybody else to conform. Because the bottom line is, I don't really care what you think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. really, I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, as long as you're not hurting me yeah. or flying a plane into the buildings of the city I live in, go ahead. We're cool. Think that. You know, and well, I mean, there's some dark realities to what's going on in certain yeah i mean but 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 that but the, that that philosophy applied uh, on a more minute scale is the same thing which is like think what you think just don't hurt people with it right so right? philosophically that makes sense but then if it comes to like you know female castration yeah, i got a problem with it you're stoning your you're stoning your 13 year old daughter because yes. some creep in the neighborhood looked at her weird yes yes you know what i mean like come like on like it's her fault like it's her fault yeah that's i mean yes that's it's the stuff that just drives me crazy and i just shit. don't understand why I just don't understand how it's gotten that to that or how why it's always been like that, I guess. It hasn't become that way. It's always been that way. And I just don't understand what's so hard about you think that thing, I think this thing, it's cool. I mean, mm-hmm. we're in the middle of this this election cycle right now. It's the most polarizing election cycle we've mm-hmm. ever had. Mm-hmm. The craziest. And the level of anger it's insane. that's going on, like I just want to shake everybody by the neck and just say, listen. The fact that you disagree is what's supposed to be great about America. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that we're free to think these things. And have a dialogue. Yes. Not a screaming match that ends in me trying to beat you up. And that's why I think that a lot of these candidates are losing are, are they're losing me because they've they're missing all these opportunities. It's a disappointing field for sure. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's I mean terrible. also when the front runner can barely form a sentence. It, 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 it's a, it's alarming, and 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 so there are two questions for you. One, I want to know how and why you got into politics. Like, mm-hmm. what made you? I know you're saying it was because you were afraid of it, but like, how did it come? The politics? Or, they're just not f- politics, but like hosting the show oh, I see and what you're kind of diving into it in such an active way. Well, I'm way. saying that fear is what makes it exciting. Yeah, but... yeah. I'm mean, not afraid of it, but like, okay, this well, is something that's new for me, or maybe not an area in which I've. Had. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is I'm I'm just. Uh... I'm super invested in it. I don't speak from a position, mm-hmm. from the right or the left. Right. I don't take a position publicly because I feel that's irresponsible. I feel that I have my finger on the pulse of whatever my fan base is, mm-hmm. right? And so I could say, come out and support so-and-so and blah, blah, blah. And I could probably garner a lot of votes for that person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. use my influence to do that, which I guess you know a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. However, my fan base doesn't know my personal lifestyle. They don't know my tax bracket. They don't know what my secret interests are. So I'm just going to go speak, hey, everybody, come do this thing that I want. Right, right, That's just not fair. Everybody should should be making up, be informed and making up their own minds. But um, I've... I've always been interested in history and United States uh, government history for many, many years. At a certain point, I started realizing that what I'm studying, like studying the Nixon White House or studying the Kennedy White House or, you know, those different administrations, I would be studying those things. And then at one point I realized, yeah, but 20 years from now, some kid's going to be studying the Obama White House. Why not just like start studying this one? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like what, like I I got into it as a fan of history in the present, like Mm -hmm. to, to look at What's happening now as a present tense history? Right uh, through that lens of analysis. through that lens, yeah. you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's just how it happened. That's cool. It's it's, it's cool and it's unusual. You it, know, it is. Yeah, it, I, I um, it's very hard to not 
take a political stand on a public platform. I just, I can't do it. It's, yeah, I mean, it, it also, you, sometimes you feel um, impelled to because it's just the situation is so alarming. You feel like you need to say something because. It's just, I mean, I don't know. What the hell? Yeah. I mean, and we're, we're in such a, uh, a dark time. It's, I really don't, I honestly don't know. What's going to happen? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Because. It's, it, it's, um. It is unspeakably frightening because you think as a rational human being, there's just no way we could be where we are right now. How are we here? You're looking at the protests at the Donald Trump rallies, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you got this one candidate who's speaking in very broad terms, not being specific on any policy. Not one thing. And also insisting he doesn't have to be specific. Doesn't have to be. No, don't worry you know, about it. I don't it. owe you that. I'm running for president, but I don't owe you an explanation. Okay, so you have, you know, radical left protesting, which is, you know, part of America, you know, people allowed to protest. American heritage, it gets, yeah. It gets violent here and mm-hmm. there, and it gets really heated. But if I was a member of that, that, that wing, you mm-hmm. know, if I was a member of one of those protesters, I would say, guys... Don't worry. The GOP is trying to crush him too. Anyway. Like, well, yeah. Anyway, yeah. they're yeah. doing your job Stay for out. you. Yeah. Go home and watch House of Cards. <laughs> they're taking down their own dude anyway. Right. Exactly. They don't. They don't need your help. They're doing just fine on their own. That's yeah. And they're funny. just as freaked out as you are. By the way. I mean, everybody is freaked oh, out. I, it's just. But what are the options? So you have, you have Hillary. Really, I mean, because Bernie is probably not going to make it. Unfortunately, I think for everybody that's excited about him, he's just too progressive for the general election. He's great yeah. for the base, but he's, he, yeah, he's I would, just a for sure. adorable old hippie. I know. I would love to have yeah. him over for How's Thanksgiving. How's that going to work? Yeah, exactly. Wait, Come on talk over. Talk about politics. <laughs> you know guys. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And same thing for John Kasich on the other side. It's mm-hmm. like he's probably the guy... The reasonable, yeah. thoughtful, moderate. So these are the guys with the two best hearts, yes. probably in the right place, never don't have a chance. No, no way. So we have Hillary. Who knows what's going on there? There's a lot of scandal She's an establishment her. candidate like everybody else who's been in politics her whole there's life. Email scandal. Money there's and the a bunch of other scandal. stuff. So, and the people are talking about indictment, whatever, you know, I mean, at least that word's being thrown around about a presidential candidate. Right. So there's that. Then you have the other side where the front runner is, you know, what we just outlined. Very a prick. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> in my political opinion, in my the most either, yeah. the most divisive uh, candidate that we've probably ever seen in our yeah. lifetimes. Yeah, our lifetimes for sure. And then we have the secret GOP meetings. Like, what does that mean? It's like what there's either going to be a third choice, which is some guy that we've never heard of right, yet, right? Or it's going to be Cruz, which he's not great either. I don't know if that's better or worse than you know what I mean. So like. I mean, look. But either way, if they, if the GOP rallies around Cruz and gets him as the nomination, yeah, that's cheating. That is cheating. So, so we have indictment or bully or cheater, right? And one right. of those three is going to be our president. Uh, oh God! There you go. Yeah, it's interesting because on that side, but like you said, it's cheating to kind of circumvent their own uh, nomination process. At yeah. the same time, it's like. All of the gates at the prison were thrown open, and the inmates got to vote on who was going to. You know what I mean? You look mm-hmm. around like, no, the and then then that's not, that's actually anti democratic to say, wait a minute, these crazy people came in and took over the party, and they don't get to choose. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That's why it's so it's so difficult to comprehend because, and to make peace with because, the people, right? It yeah. is we the people. Yeah, they've chosen or they are choosing who they want their front runner to be. Yeah. That's the way it's supposed to be. Now, whether you and I are you you and I like that or not, right? 
isn't, you know, that's the, the majority to, of the people. Yeah. However, the GOP is saying, and, you know, you and I are probably not going to fight them on this. <laughs> this one time, right. you can go against the democratic right, process. Right. But what they're doing is saying, it, it, the, the, the choice is in the hands of the people, unless you choose that. And then yeah. it's not in your hands anymore. We're, we're going yeah. to take it from here. But these are also the people that we voted into office anyway. Anyway. So, I mean, it's just a... I don't know what we're going to do. It's, it's a mystery. I mean, I guess it's interesting to observe as a political observer, just to go, like, what's going to happen? Yeah, I know. I'm excited. Well, the, the, the crazy. Oh, I know we're wrapping up, but the crazy thing is, once the election is over, it's just going to be like a calm, still lake. Right. Like, everything is just so ferocious right now, and 24 hour news cycle, and people yeah. are freaking out, and losing freaking their minds, out. and it's just going to be like a big sigh of like, oh, that's who won. Okay. Right. And right. Then back to your reg- regular. Back to your regularly program. scheduled graft and corruption. Um, this is. What is this? This this is the last question. Oh, and um, there are two questions. The first one is this. I I don't know why I've been asking you such general questions, David, but I think it's because you're such a well-rounded person and I feel like you have good shit in your brain. You you have, you, you had like, you've had a dark life and you've embraced darkness in your life, but you strike me as a hopeful person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you think you're naturally hopeful or was that something you had to choose for yourself? I definitely had to learn to be hopeful. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that, you know, Outlooks like that, like hope, like change, like, uh, you know, it's like a muscle. If you, if you want to go to the gym and you want to be strong, you got to keep going to the gym. Mm-hmm. You, there's no day that like you go to the gym and like, okay, I look great. And then that's it. And you never go back again. Mm-hmm. So in terms of having like a hopeful attitude, I think there's a daily kind of a house cleaning that goes along with maintaining that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It does make sense. And uh, I guess pursuant to that, you have all these things that you're doing right now, but I wonder what is the thing that's still resting out there, like just outside of your grasp that you want to do? Well, I just launched a um, a production company and we did Morning Sun. The mm-hmm. documentary is our first endeavor and I'm really excited about getting into scripted film mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and filmmaking and that's what I that's where I want to go because mm-hmm. I'm I'm you know I'm grateful listen I'm not complaining by any means but I'm grateful for the the work I have and what I do and the things that I'm you know in right now but I'm looking forward to telling stories um, that I'm not in, that right. I have nothing, you know, I'm not, I'm not the subject of any of these things right. anymore. I don't want to be in everything anymore. So I'm looking forward to being able to be a part of that process. If right. that's what you mean professionally. Yeah. Just, it, I mean, whatever it is, whatever the thing is that, you know, that like the, when I was saying we're close in age, I feel like this is a time when you start to really think about like, what's the shit I have to get done mm-hmm. before I depart the planet. Yeah, but if I start thinking about departing the planet, I'm like, well, what's the point of doing anything? <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess so. I just feel like I'm like, there's an egg timer ticking. I have to. I like, know what you mean. Yeah. I know what you mean. But like, I mean, how you think about this legacy to leave behind? But if I die and I don't get to see how that legacy affected anybody anyway, like who gives a shit? Yeah, like yeah. you know, I won't be able to be there. Yeah, like I don't know. It's it's such a, a mind. A mind screwing element to think about, but you know, I, I don't have any like, like, are you saying, like, do I want to, you know, no, like <laughs> climb Everest? Climb Everest? Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Is that what you're asking me? <laughs> no, I just, you know, it, because you've accomplished so much creatively in your life. Yeah. You know, it, it's, 
it's a different, you know, most people are thinking, yeah, hopefully I'll, I don't know, I'll get to go to Bermuda. Or I'll, uh, but for you, because you've done so much. Mm-hmm. I think going into. It's a different framework. Space. Yeah? I kind of always wanted to go into space. <laughs> Does that make sense? You're kind of a nerdy kid. I mean, I was a nerdy kid. I'm a full-on science nerd. Full-science nerd. It's like my whole jam. Yeah. I mean, I want to go either into orbit or to the moon or to whatever. If they they said it's leaving tomorrow and there's there's a chance you're not coming back, I'd probably go. Wow. You know, we yeah. don't know if this thing's really going to work. Right. But, uh, you know, you can get on this thing now. And, you know, I don't know. I, I've always, to me, that's like the next level. Because yeah. to me, there's an element when it comes to space and space travel and, and just, you know, just our solar system, let alone the universe, there's something that puts you into the palm of whatever spiritual divinity there is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, to me, as, as far as being in this body, that's as close to being in the, the great, uh, I don't know, the largest part of, you know, what's next. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to put it. Yeah. But I you do, know what I'm saying? Just having a sense of touching something that is more expansive than More expansive. This and then plane. also being aware to look back down on the earth and see just how insignificant every single one of my problems are yeah. from that vantage point. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I see it. Thank you so much for yeah, talking to Yeah, thanks for me. having me. I loved it. Yay. That was Dave Navarro. Uh, we didn't do a self-inflicted wound, but I, I feel like uh, that was uh, laced all the way through our conversation. Um, multiple self-inflicted wounds of varying types, and I think you can see more of those in action if you uh, watch this film, Morning Sun. Um, and there is no, there hasn't been an apologia for a while, other than I'm going to bounce the hell out of this uh, this intro, outro, because I am getting ready to go to a premiere. So don't forget to check out my Kickstarter page for my new feature, Access, by going to kickstarter.com slash accessfilm. That's kickstarter.com slash A-X-I-S-F-I-L-M to find out more about my film and how you can participate. This is going to be an incredible experience, and I want to take you guys with me every step of the way. The page goes live the first week of April, so follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Aisha Tyler to find out more and come along on this incredible ride with me. I hope you guys will join me. It's going to be unbelievable. You guys are great. You are my army. You are legion. Come follow me, friend me online. Come send me a letter. Come say hello. It's never too early for the all-listener uh, question show. So do that now and uh, and find me online and say hello and tweet me, Facebook me. You know you know how I get down. You guys are the greatest. You are my army. You are legion. Can't wait to talk to you on the next one. Late. Girl on Guy is a production of Hot Machine. Blowing shit up since 2009.